welcome to Pop Screen, a new podcast from the Geek Show Podcast Network, dealing with the good, the bad, and the downright inexplicable of movies, either by, starring, or about pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to hip-hop, from documentaries to sci-fi. I'm Graham Williamson. I'm a film critic for The Geek Show and Horrified.com. And this week, I've been joined by... By Rob. Hello, or Rob Simpson, to give me my full birth moniker. Um, you can find me online, really, at No Frame Of. That's the, the banner I go under. So uh, Twitter, Letterboxd, which I've been a bit lax on in 2020, but 2021, it'll all be back. I'll open it running as usual. Tw- 2021, Otherwise, it will be a return to normality. We've been assured yes. of this. Yeah. Otherwise, a website editor for thegeekshow.co.uk. Yeah. And uh, if anyone's watching this on YouTube, just after I've said it's a return to normality, Rob might turn green at some point during this recording session. It, it just happens. We don't try something know. new. Yeah. <laughs> we don't quite know why. And then it just stops happening because his webcam is interesting. Uh, But this week's film is, if you squint, and particularly if you squint because you're really drunk, the (laughs) ultimate pop movie. It's got punk rock, flying saucers, young love, zombie gore, gang rumbles, and people wearing sunglasses at night. It is, as they say, a lot of movie. It's Wild Zero, starring the Japanese band Guitar Wolf, and this is the first time on this show that... I've covered an artist that I'm not really familiar with. Well, that should be interesting then. Mm. Yeah. You don't I, want me to fill the blank in there, do you? <laughs> I, I think that there are some blanks that need filling in. My, my previous exposure to Guitar Wolf and the thing that got me uh, intrigued by them was, of course, when Adam Buxton appeared in an unflattering bathing costume pouring drinks over his face, making sections of a beach explode and grabbing his crotch, which is coincidentally the same way that I got into Bell and Sebastian. But uh, well, <laughs> what, what song was that for again? I remember the video. It was on his TV show, Bug, wasn't it? Mm. Summertime Blues, it was. Yeah, mean, probably no their biggest. For the summertime booze. That's probably their uh, most famous song, to be honest. Mm. Right. Because uh, uh, it didn't come up in here, a few of their early rock and roll covers did. But um, mm. well, Wild Zero is also an album, so a lot of this stuff right. also. Well, I, I guess in this context, it'd be a soundtrack album. But I'm, I'm not sure which come first, whether it was the album that was wrote and the music came from the album, or or vice versa. Mm. I see. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I mean, they both sort of feed off one of the, one one another. Um, yeah, quite nicely. So if anyone watching or listening to this is as much of a Guitar Wolf dunce as me, uh, how would you describe their music, Rob? Um, Well, before describing it, for a long time they were credited as having the loudest recording ever. That was their 1999 album. I think it was Jet Generation. Oh, yeah, which... uh... That this opens with the title song from that, I think. Yeah, and I did have it on when I had a CD collection. I did have it, and it was one of those things. It, yeah, it's loud. It's like super, super loud. And the type of music it is, it, 
um, guitar garage punk sort mm. of. It has its origins back in sort of nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties stuff, but Japanese and really loud with a lot of punk in there and all the distortion. Mm. And the point of the character is there's guitar wolf, bass wolf, and drum wolf. I think it's the second bass wolf run now. The first bass wolf died. It's sort of, it's very limiting, isn't it, having those nicknames? There must be a time when Drum Wolf thinks, nobody knows that I'm also Trombone Wolf. <laughs> Maybe, in another life, he's <laughs> Trombone Wolf, yeah. But yeah, that's it. I found an extraordinary quote from their lead singer, Guitar Wolf. They haven't real names, but, you know, who wants to use them? Uh, nah where he talks about how he was inspired to get into music and, and he says in, I think, unimprovable broken English, this would be no better a quote if it was well translated. <laughs> I love jet plane. I love noisy music too. Every record have no big sounds. So easy to listen to. I hate that! Yeah, that sounds on brand. Yes. Not like not in their music. It's just noisy punk rock. Mm. And they're a band that could only be Japanese, if you're perfectly clear about that. They're legitimately proficient, though. They aren't like a lot of no-wave bands where they just make a racket. And I sort of like no-wave music, but it is just a racket. Well, I don't know whether um, the people watching Struck listening to this are all that versed in the live music scene. Mm. But I'm going to make a statement here. It might be controversial, I don't know, but I'm going to stand by it. But for my money and in my experience, the best live bands in the world are always Japanese. Okay, okay. So there's many countless examples of this for the, the gigs and, and whatnot. But this, I imagine they're very good live. Yeah. And oh, yeah. A lot of Wild Zero is kind of anchored in that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Because it starts off like, as one songs, of their yeah. gigs. Yeah, it starts off at one of their gigs where the lead character, a Guitar Wolf fan called Ace, played by, what's the guy's name? Uh, where is it? I definitely wrote this down because he's, he's in a movie that I, I did not expect him to be in. Uh, he's in, uh, I can't find his name. Anyway, he's in uh, Sour Core Decides, which is quite a, a I'm sort not familiar of, with that. Japanese indie kind of art house thing that crossed over about 10 years ago here. And okay. here he is playing like a greaser with an enormous pompadour who go, goes to the urinals and there's a sort of a, a dick point of view shot, which... <laughs> I, didn't, is... I couldn't remember that fight weirdly enough. <laughs> of all the, the things the movie out. throws at you, of mm. all the things the movie throws at you, I mean, to forget one, you're okay. <laughs> But then he, he gets involved in a sort of backstage imbroglio, which is like a sort of pocket version of Green Room, isn't it? Yeah, he says, I'm going to go to the owner of the, the bar mm. and I'm going to say, rock and roll never dies. I am rock and roll, basically. Yeah. That's like a big <laughs> theme of the movie. Uh, and demand a job. And he, yeah, he walks into a Green Room situation. With the Unless, first of many head explosions. Yeah, it's a very head explosion y movie, and I appreciated that. That's something that Buxton picked up in his video, isn't it? I watched that again, and there is a very good head oh, yeah. explosion in that. 
Yeah, it's an odd music video. It's probably the best music video Guitar World have ever had as well, because as the sound kind of attests, they're very lo-fi. Yeah. I also think that statement would work if you took out the words Guitar Wolf and replaced it with anyone ever. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so great. It's, it's, it, it's a cracking music video. You can't mm. deny that about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's this there's this very well done Mexican standoff, and I did appreciate how it, it sort of pays off because every single shot at the end of it is a payoff for something that's been set up before, and I appreciated that there's a level of proficiency there, even though this is a trashy, trashy movie, as you had warned me. Yeah. I mean, somebody's head gets explored, but I don't know who it is. It doesn't seem to frame it very well. It's just, oh, there's someone's head exploded. Wasn't it the bald guy? No, he turns up later. Hang on, what? The bald guy (laughs) who who looks exactly like Ryan Gosling does in that bit of drive where he's wearing the stunt mask to go after Ron Perlman. Also, one of the people involved in this, uh, Mexican face-off, we can't neglect to mention... Mm. The, the owner of the club, I mean, Guitar Wolf, they're in up to the nines in leather, leather boots, leather jeans, leather jacket, bands, black t-shirt, sunglasses mm. indoors. He wears, Guitar Wolf wears his guitar everywhere. He rides a motorbike, has his, has his guitar everywhere yeah. he has this guitar. And he walks into this office and the manager of the office has a tennis t-shirt on and tighty whiteies and his tennis t-shirt <laughs> is tucked into his tighty whiteies. Uh, yes. And it's just the first. It's the first weird as hell uh, costume decision in this thing. It's a very, very crotchy movie, isn't it? There's a lot of crotch stuff going on. I think the director. The director's only done one other film. Um, yeah. In 2010, I think it was. Mm. So <laughs> it's which, understandable he had things going on there. One of the film, which uh, I forget the title of it, but it starred Lily Frankie from Hirokatsu Koryeda's film Shoplifters. Oh, he's great, Lily Frankie. He's been in mm. all sorts. Completely agree. And I love that movie, Shoplifters. I thought that was uh, a rare, deserving Palm Door winner. They can pull that out of the bag occasionally over there. Lily Frankie was also in Yakuza Apocalypse as a Yakuza vampire. So he's mixing it up. He's a versatile man, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, after this, there's this sort of spaghetti mess of plot, and I I didn't sort of find it irritating. I know a lot of people find this movie very irritating, but there is a point in Act 1 where I questioned if it would play any differently if the scenes were played in a random order. No, no. I mean, at the end, the main character says he doesn't know if it's a nightmare or a dream or real, and I think that's the sort of the way to appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but we've already had this prologue where CG flying saucers in a bit of the old turn of the millennium CGI. Don't you just love it? Um, yeah. And. Yeah, <laughs> don't make me try and explain it. Well, First, they, they come oh. to Earth and there's a meteorite landing which is connected in some way. And it was 
at, at the point where the zombies turned up, it was then that I realised that this is actually an uncredited remake of Plan 9 from Outer Space. It had scanned for the, the level that we're pitching this thing at. <laughs> but yet there's so many different groups. What, there's mm. the, the guy who was shot by Guitar Wolf in the opening scene and lost a few fingers. Yeah. And the golden ball was stolen. Um, we have the lead and the a woman who he happens upon. We'll get more on that later, I assume. Mm, yeah. Which is dated this film quite badly. <laughs> <laughs> but also not at the same time. And we have a group of three in which they're going to see the meteorite and they've got no money and they're just sort of bumming about. Mm, yeah. Um, am I forgetting any other groups? Because there's quite a few. Uh, I don't think so, no. I mean, other than the zombies, of course. Who? Oh, yeah. And there's a yeah. woman who like, is very crotchy outfit as well. Her has no trousers. It's just like, oh, lots yeah. going on. Like a camo shirt, no trousers. I think... It's, I mean, <laughs> these fashions are terrible, but also kind of ahead of their time. Like, I could see Megan the Stallion pulling that last one off. She'd be in a group of one person in the whole world. Pull that <laughs> off, frankly. It's one of those things. And I, I saw it, it. I had to lend this off a person who frequented a forum that I used to it, use quite regularly. That's how hard it was to get. And it's not much easier now. Yeah. So you can't exactly like dip in whenever you feel like a little bit of wild zero. So the amount of things I forgot about this. It's strange, isn't it? Because, I mean, from a British perspective, this was part of that sort of tartan Asia extreme wave of very wacky movies or very transgressive movies or both from the Far East that were picked up yeah. by UK distributors around the millennium time. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the Japanese term for it is V-cinema, uh, straight mm. to video, which doesn't have the stigma that it does over here. But again, it's just it's it's the same as another term that's a big thing in Japan, trash cinema. It has right. one like connotation here, mm. uh, but it, it's different in Japan. It's kind of like Italy in the sixties and seventies. They didn't judge trashy horror films any different than classy art house. Mm. But this is trash. This isn't like classy <laughs> trash. This isn't interest. Well, it's interesting trash in some ways. This is just trash. But is it, and this is the crucial distinction, I think, is it fun trash? Intermittently. Mm. Um, I think whenever Guitar Wolf are on screen, that's the collective, not the individual. Yeah, this is confusing, isn't it? They should at least make him sing a wolf. <laughs> yes. At least when, when the collective, I guess, are on screen. Mm. It's kind of fun. I mean, Guitar Wolf, he, he seems... His performance is really, really weird. Where I can't tell whether they got him in for one day and he just delivered sound bites, <laughs> or whether it's a genuine performance, or whether he's really like that. <laughs> I mean, I did, me. I did give you that quote about the jet plane and the big sounds before, which could have come straight out of his dialogue here. I guess he's just like that then. <laughs> Might just be like that, yeah. This is a, this is a line of dialogue that says, what even are you? And I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah. 
If I don't know what Guitar Wolf are, yeah, collectively, individually, I'm so confused. <laughs> For me, uh, it, it starts off being pretty solid trash. Sort of hits a few bumps, but keeps going until about an hour and ten minutes in. I just start thinking, "All oh, right, that's about enough trash." Seriously, get, just yeah. get to the end. I mean, there's no reason that this has to be more than 70 minutes, because yes. to be fair, it is nothing more than a pure advert for Guitar Wolf. Yeah. And it's it's actually about one hour 40, which is excessive. Even though the ending, when it comes, is good, and it's worth waiting for, but it straggles getting there. Yeah. Um, there's one bit that I think... Without going to spoilers in this conversation, or yes, yeah, there's one bit I can't remember the name of the woman who uh, is mm. has a connection to that is something that I should have written down. Um, yes, doing well here. This is good, but let's just call her the love interest because, frankly, Tobia, a character is about as complicated as love interest. Mm. Um, the meet in a situation in a, a gas station where one of the earlier aforementioned groups, the ones who were just going to watch the asteroids, uh, try to rob the gas station, he interjects and them two meet. And mm. these weird shots every now and again where he says, I'm ace, I'm the best, I'm rock and roll number one, baby. Yeah. Comes his hair and have like this weird filter over the screen, which is like a love heart, which it sort of looks like somebody put over the camera like this little <laughs> thing, so it fits rather than editing it in. Yeah, it reminded me a bit of the cardboard cutouts in Uncle Yanko by uh, Agnes Varda, which I'm definitely sure was an influence on this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't think this movie is, is smart enough to have influences. <laughs> Bless its heart, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, later on, um, there's Ace is kind of having a hard time accepting his fate, even though he's got a whistle that can summon Guitar Wolf at any time. This is Guitar Wolf with his magic it, like, plectrums that destroy zombies with electricity. Yes. The sentences that Swing makes you say are really <laughs> weird. <laughs> but they're in like, this building. Um, and the hiding from zombies. These are sort of weird dawn of the dead Japanese V cinema zombies. So they're mm. just basically people with grey paint on. Yeah. Which is an image, I guess. It's it's got its charm, I think. I enjoyed that kind of dawn throwback look. Hmm. But he has a breakdown. He says, oh, I can't handle this. I'm trying my hardest to handle this. It's all too much for me. And... There's a romantic spark which has been sort of seeded every now and again. Mm. Uh, By paper cutouts, yeah. Paper cutouts, the best of all mediums. And the camera cuts. It's got some really hard cuts. I mean, the editor on this. (laughs) I mean, yeah. It's very sort of uh, Windows movie maker scene transitions that he's into here, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one step removed from Star Wipes, which <laughs> respects Star Wipes, but come on, <laughs> bring your game. And it cuts to Tobio, mm. and it has this slow cut down. Turns out Tobio's a man. 
Mm. It screams and runs off and has a little bit of a interaction with a dreamscape guitar wolf who says rock and roll has no borders, love has no borders, uh, gender, um, religion, whatever. Already says, rock and roll, like, baby. Get to it! <laughs> Go back in there and have sex with her immediately on the order of this guitarist you have hallucinated. So this is this is a really weird scene. Like, I'm not sure whether it's progressive or deeply conservative. But yeah, um, I think the ultimate message of it is progressive, particularly when you consider that like Hollywood comedies around this time were still in that kind of Ace Ventura, Naked Gun 33 in a third zone, where any trans character is just immediately repulsive and hilarious. But the weirdest thing about it for me is that for once the film actually shows some kind of restraint and it sort of pans down her body and then stops before it gets to the crotch again for once. Uh, yeah. and, and then you just see Ace's horrified reaction. And it's as if the film is saying, hey, there's only one thing that could be, eh, lads? And think, what? No, in a film like this, there's about 10,000 things <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's quite a nice message, actually, you know. Yeah. I, I admire the think... sort of Guitar Wolf's version of retro, hard-edged rock and roll is pretty non-toxically masculine and quite inclusive it's nice yeah he's trying to it's kind of like how punk and skinheads became taken over by neo-nazis when you get a true skinhead you know Mm. that's what they used to be yes yeah and he's doing the same for punk rock and rock and roll Mm. (laughs) i don't know i take it from that (laughs) It's, let, let's just bask in the niceness for a second. I did find out before this was released that uh, Guitar Wolf had been in another movie before this. Uh, they had a small part in a film made in 1997, I think in America, called The Saw Losers, which starred the Oblivions, another garage rock band oh, who they'd yeah. been on tour with. Yeah, their peers, them. Uh... And there are some there are some oblivion songs in this film. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it does feel the need to like have music playing all of the time, but it, it's kind of the there's some movies that do it where it's constantly prodding you, saying "Feel something, feel something." Mm-hmm. You better feel something. This is a sad scene. This is a happy scene. This is an excited scene. Where is this? It's just a cool mixtape. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good comparison point because. The Guitar Wolf songs, I think, are terrific. I mean, they have an absolutely brilliant sound. And some of the other songs are well chosen too. I was absolutely delighted when Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill started playing. So you're not going to like reference the fact that there's this, what's, what's the name of the song? Uh, Love Boop 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 or something. <laughs> it's in this uh, weird underwear type man's office <laughs> i yeah I, maybe the pants were distracting me i don't know i was it love love beam 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 uh, beam beam love or something it's just really really bad shape up <laughs> that's real if you've if seen this movie and or if you've not seen this and you don't know what we're talking about it's just i love you 
love beam beam and it's like that sort of it's basically the sort of english which guitar wolf was talking in earlier mm, but yeah about, about love uh, love and that yes i mean just ticking off the insane lyrics if i started doing that this podcast would last significantly longer <laughs> there is one that i noted down from jet generation which is magnificent I've got a wallet on my ass with a rock and roll license. I don't know much about Japanese society. Do you have to have a license to rock and roll? That seems a bit restrictive. I don't know, but I know there's an official um, luchador department in the Mexican government, so maybe. Wow. You're legally covered by Mexican law to have your identity covered by your mask (laughs) in, in Mexico. So That's who knows? Great. Countries are weird. What a fantastic piece of trivia. Yes. And the ending, though. The ending is very fun. Like I say, it straggles a bit before the ending, but when the ending comes, I thought, oh, yeah, that's the kind of madness I've been waiting for. Because yeah, um, I don't know if it, again, I, I mentioned a while ago, I don't know if this is smart enough to reference things or no references, but I think there's a Return to the Living Dead reference in here. Well, it does have a... It, uh, Return, to the Li- Return to the Living Dead is one of those few films that has a talking zombie, and so does mm. this, so maybe. Because, um, yeah, the idea that a lot of people who don't watch zombie cinema think all zombies say brains, they don't mm. really. It's Return of the Living Dead which birthed that idea. Yeah. Um, and also there... One of the lines of dialogue, send more paramedics, is the name of a now defunct Lee's Thrash Car metal band. Ha. So there's, there's that. But yeah, I mean, there's a bit where two of the side characters find themselves, well, find each other again as zombies, and it's just got a scene of them saying each other's name and walking <laughs> to each other in this sort of distorted zombie talk. Yes. But then there's there's also the there's another scene with a talking zombie before that where there are zombies outside of the uh, compound where the heroes have hauled up in, and they manage to lure someone outside by pretending to be a civilian in danger, uh, which mm. is it's quite good. It's a bit like that bit on Doctor Who where the weeping angels manipulated a dead guy's voice box. It's a kid's show for kids. Yeah, all kids. <laughs> Doctor Who, yeah. Um, and then the, the guy with the underpants turns up and starts shooting stuff. And yeah. It's a great, a really funny sequence with him interacting with a zombie and he seems oblivious that zombies are a thing. Yes. Which is, that that's a surprisingly rare scene in zombie cinema, isn't it? The guy who realises zombies are around and then just goes, oh, come on, nah. Yeah, and usually that sort of person is like, here's the bad guy, right? And he's going to get the really gory kill. Yeah. They're gonna, Dil- like, Dylan they... Moran in Shaun of the Dead is like the golden example of this. Oh, the military douche who doesn't like Bob in Dawn of the, uh, Day of the Dead. Mm. It was probably the high watermark as far as I'm concerned is, oh my God, he's just, he's just blood now, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's a fantastic scene. But no, he gets bit. They don't really acknowledge that. And he just blows some stuff up. Yeah, 
does get bit, doesn't he? That's very odd. Yeah, but does it actually establish whether biting turns you? I mean, it does and it doesn't. It kind of mm. cho- picks and chooses. Yeah, I guess it's it's perfectly valid. The zombie movie should decide that one of the rules doesn't apply to it. But normally when that happens, they make a big deal out of it because it's a subversion of expectations. Whereas here someone just gets bit and it doesn't come up. I mean, they seem to be aware of the fact, because there's a bit around here where they have a little conversation in the military hangar where they say, have you seen, oh, this is like zombies from Night of the Living Dead. Have you seen Night of the Living Dead? Oh, yeah, I haven't seen Night of the Living Dead. I haven't mm. seen it either. It's like, what, why are you bringing this up? Is this some sort of contractual <laughs> obligation? Yes, yeah. That, that's, I don't know. It, it's, it's odd because it is early on in that kind of zombie revival cycle. It's before Shaun of the Dead, it's before Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn of the Dead, and it's before the torrent that came after that. It's after the greatest zombie movie ever made, though, by your zombie, in which zombie is spread by bad Sprite. I'm being ironic, obviously. It's not that good, but it amuses what? me. What, 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 what nation created Bio-Zombie? 1990s Hong Kong. Right, I see. 1990s Hong Kong is weird. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The video game Dawn of the Dead also plays a pivotal part in that movie. Right, right. Of course so, it does. Well, so maybe that's just this thing where in Asia, zombies never went out of fashion. That it, Obviously, in Britain, you have a problem where from the early 80s onwards, most of the classic zombie movies cannot be legally distributed here uncut. So there's an obvious ebb and flow to the zombie craze here. But over there, that doesn't yeah. apply. I mean, even as, as like, people expecting a gory zombie movie, it's not mm. really. It's got, I don't know, it's got a fair few gory scenes, but I don't know whether... I don't know whether they seem like less than what they are because the movie isn't really going for atmosphere or scares. And also, I think it's a budgetary thing. It's like, uh, going back to that Day of the Dead scene, that is grisly because it looks real, effectively. Yeah. Whereas this, they, don't, they, they made it in about a pound. Yes. <laughs> so the effects kind of reflect that. It's very foam rubbery. It's got that real foam rubber texture, I think. And it's also shot on digital, so it has this the grey off colour. It has that colour, doesn't it, that only exists in turn of the millennium Japanese exploitation films. That particular kind of greeny, yellowy tint on the lights just took mm. me back to the time when I was starting to get into Takashi Miike straight away. It's the same era, so sort of late 90s, early 90s, where they just signed. Like, Takashi Mika had his famous 2001, where I think he made 17 movies. Of course. In he one did. year. Yes. Which I don't know how it's physically possible, but you know, good on you, Takashi. Yeah. Good on you. <laughs> what a guy. But yeah. Um... I, I don't know. I, I have a theory that 
every nation is capable of producing a good zombie movie if they put their mind to it. But Japan is particularly good at making terrible zombie movies. Um, their bad zombie movies one. are so entertaining. There's a baseball zombie movie. I think it's just called Baseball Zombie <laughs> Creative. <laughs> um, Tokyo Zombie is quite fun. Because mm. it's got the biggest fake out of a zombie bite, and it's hilarious. Right. It's got it's quite uh, accessible. It's got a Tadanabo Asano who people might know from far. Yeah, and he's Hogan, one of those. He he's Tadanabo Asano is like the Japanese equivalent of one of those kind of Willem Dafoe, Nasiruddin Shah kind of character actors who is just good in every single thing. For a while, he was referred to as the Japanese Johnny Depp, but now that I don't think you can really call anybody that unless you've just been mean. Yeah, unless there's been like a really high-profile spousal violence case in Japan, I would back away from that comparison. Hmm. But no, I don't think there's a good Japanese zombie movie. But the trash yeah. ones of a delight, I think. Have you ever seen Junk? No, that's one of the harder ones to, to get hold of, that. But it's quite I... notorious. Yeah, I had a friend who was a, a video nasties collector back in the day when that meant something other than going down to HMV and looking in the horror section and finding that they're all they've all been released uncut now. Uh, and he had a copy of Junk, and it's a riot. It's so much fun. What's I can't remember that one. Which one is it again? It's the name's the, familiar. I, I've got to admit, my memory of it is a bit hazy because it was about. 15 years ago when I was drunk, but it's the Yakuza versus Zombies one. Oh, there's so many of that. I mean, there's one, I don't know whether, you kind of getting right into zombie like trash territory. I can't remember the name of the guy, but it's the guy who did Tokyo Gar Police. You're kind of mm. skirting on the ass end of his oeuvre. <laughs> Not the classy end of the Tokyo Gar Police director's work. Was it sushi? The Tokyo sushi, sushi zombie. I can't remember what it's called, but you know that uh, practice where people eat sushi off a naked person. Oh yeah, yeah. As celebrated recently by uh, Diane Morgan in Mandy. Really? Yes. <laughs> that's that's a, a left turn for that. <laughs> there's an amazing opening to one of the uh, episodes of Mandy where. That is her like crap job of the week, and she gets fired because everyone's like paused nervously, and she just goes, "Tuck in, lads, don't be shy." <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's quite in the spirit of the original creation. But uh, I think there's a zombie uh, riff on that, and there's toilet zombie. Uh, I think there's ass of the dead. It's called, if I remember correctly, is that... toilet of the dead or ass of the dead, one of the two. There's that Japanese director where like every single one of his movies seems to have a reference to toilets in the title. Probably, I probably yeah, haven't yeah. narrowed that down thinking about Japanese cinema, but... Um, yeah, because Japanese cinema is the home of kinks. If you've got a kink, Japanese cinema has you covered. Yeah, it, it was Rule 34 before the internet was Rule 34. Hmm. Yeah, but that's a good point. I don't think there is a good one. Um, mm -hmm. So this has as much of a legitimate shout as anything else. Yeah, because it, it has 
a, a legitimate cult following, and I think it deserves a legitimate cult following. So, I mean, it's not high art, but it's got ass-kicking music, it's got gore, it never stands still. I mean, I love uh, Guitar Wolf, so it'll always have value for me as Guitar Wolf's movie. Yeah. Because I don't think I'll ever get to see them live, so this is as close as I'm going to get. Yeah. And you know that if you go backstage, try and avoid going to the management to tell them that rock and roll will never die, uh, because that can get you in the shit. Yeah, so if I say any of them go, rock and roll's alive, baby, they'll give me a magic whistle and they'll go and protect <laughs> me whenever things get bad. I think it's kind of an innocent movie in a lot of ways, because the fantasy of it is just being part of a rock and roll band's gang, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we've all had that time when we were just discovering music and we were a little bit too into of someone, much of a fan. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, this isn't, I, I'm not just, I don't just like this band. It's like every time anybody sees me, all the talk about is this band. Everybody's had that phase. Yeah, I, and, and also particularly that idea of hanging out with someone. It's, and it is just hanging out. It's not like the idea of doing anything creative with the band. It's not the idea of being part of the band's business operation. It's not even the idea of having a crush on the band. No, it's just part of being their gang, which is the fantasy here, which I think is, is nice and juvenile. For me, it was Kinnicky. I would have loved to be part of Kinnicky's gang. Um, I was a bit too over the top about the driving. Ah, well, makes complete sense. They were absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I was uh, at college. I wouldn't shut up. I think that's <laughs> it. Caused problems. <laughs> I feel like being on their payroll would be heavy. <laughs> it's, mm. but yeah, I can I can definitely see the appeal. Um, and they name-checked Company of Wolves in one of the most famous songs, too. So, you know. Mm, I have to double-check that. Good taste. Good taste. It's in Invalid Litter Department. I figured it'd be on Relationship of Command, because, come on, it's, it's an all-time great, that record. Solid gold. Not bad track on it. Yeah. Um, I suppose I should recommend some guitar wolf for people. Yes. Not least me. Um, If you want your eardrums ruined... <laughs> Go for Planet of the Wolves. No, no, uh, Generation, sorry. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, my favourite two, um, there's Planet of the Wolves, which I think there's a reference to it in something which uh, Katawa says. He does say something like that when he howls out of the blue for no reason at one point in the movie. Mm, yeah. Because his band's called Katawa, why not howl? Yeah. Um, Jet Generation's good. But I think the easiest place to get into them is, I don't know if it's still available, but there was a fantastic best of called Golden Black. Ah, okay. Which is, they don't do good best ofs anymore. They just sort of annualize them for the, like the rock heavyweights. Yeah. Makes no sense, but that's a classic best of Golden Black. I think the the best of's place has obviously been taken by Spotify, but it, it's a shame because I think Spotify's band playlists are generally rubbish. <laughs> it's like, 
I remember the first time I ever tried Spotify and someone, it was around a friend's house and they had it and someone explained it to me and I thought, all right, so all you have to do is think of a band who've been around for a while, who have an absolutely cracking back catalogue and you can just listen to their songs all day. That's fantastic. I want to do the Beastie Boys. And after about half an hour, I was thinking, if I hear Sugar <laughs> Shot one more fucking time on this thing. I've never used Spotify. I mean... I'm a terrible music bar and I will chew anybody's ear off for hours about Bandcamp. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bandcamp is great and ethical. Yeah. But yeah, I think Guitar Wolf are on Bandcamp. They should be. Everybody's on Bandcamp these days. Yeah. And if you're not on Bandcamp, seriously, what are you doing? You call yourself a music fan? Come on. Some good stuff on there. What, yeah, what, what, and even, you know, if you were in a band too, there's no reason why you should be begging for fractions of pennies from that Spotify douche when you can have a decent cut of the sales from Bandcamp. I think it's most of it actually. And they have this thing, I don't want to turn this into an advert for Bandcamp. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what I sponsor- expected this to end up either, but it is good. If they want to support your podcast, I'm not going to say no, but um. <laughs> Yeah, they've got this thing called uh, Bandcamp Free Fridays where all the money goes to the band on those days. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, Guitar Wolf, great. Wild Zero. It's fun. It's it's not as good as a Guitar Wolf (laughs) film directed by Adam Buxton would be, but it is fun. I think I actually discovered them through Adam Buxton, you know. Yeah, so did I, yeah. From Adam and Joe. Adam and Joe go Tokyo. yeah which is a show which nobody knows what anymore. It was a great TV show. I think I discovered Poly 6 as well, which is sort of new wave J-punk. Right. And if you, yeah, if that sounds fun to you, give Poly 6 a try because you will love them. Okay. Um, but yeah, on that show, Adam and Joe go Tokyo. I think they were on that. I'm not sure. It sounds plausible. Yeah. It also explained why... You know, Adam Buxton found out about them as well. Yeah. Because they're not a sort of band you just sort of happen upon on your trod- on your troddles there. No, not really. I think the first time I heard of them, as opposed to hearing them, was probably in a review of Wild Zero. Hmm. Which is like the only plausible place that I would have heard of them before that Adam Buxton music video. I mean, I did used to say he was last of them, but no, I think it is that show. Mm. Is that show that just helped me find them? Yeah. So thank you, Adam and Joe. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, just one last note of something that tremendously entertains me. Uh, when Guitar Wolf, the singer, wants to make an entrance, he plays the opening chords of Raunchy, the classic instrumental by Link Ray, uh, which is, is obviously that what he was doing. That's what he's doing. Oh wow. He knows he's rock and roll then. <laughs> well, he does, because uh, Raunchy was the song that inspired him to take up playing guitar. Uh, it is also the song that inspired the formation of a, a less well-known cultier band than Guitar Wolf called uh, The Beatles. <laughs> that rare, rare by your band. Bit of a crate digger one for you there, listeners, but uh, if... Yeah. They are effectively the same sort of music as the Beatles, just yeah. a little bit more bit extreme, lighter. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
bit louder than I was going to say the lyrics uh, make less sense, but th- I'm thinking about it more and I'm thinking, do they? Do they, though? <laughs> is there a single Guitar Wolf song that is more incoherent than I am the walrus? Well, there's a song about taxi drivers. Whenever I hear it, I always think it's called Backseat Driver, and Backseat Driver makes much more sense as a thing to be angry about. So maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Taxi drivers get my nerves when I'm driving. But yes, uh, that's a whole other podcast and one that will only appeal to Top Gear fans. So we're not making it. But yeah, I think that about wraps it up for Wild Zero. Uh, you can find us on any of your usual podcast providers. And if you go to thegeekshow.co.uk, you can also find news about Impossible Mission, Dreaming Machine, Literary Loitering, and all of our other podcasts and video series. But until then, uh, that's been a lot from Pop Screen. I've been your host, Graham Williamson. And I have been Rob Simpson. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>